0: Hi everyone, I'm Jeff Hunt, and this is the Human Capital Podcast, produced by GoalSpan. Hosting this show is one of my favorite pastimes because we get to explore the deeply human aspect of work. If you've listened to many episodes, you'll realize I spend a lot of time talking about culture, because ultimately culture eats everything else for lunch. Today, I'm excited to drive us to the intersection of organizational culture and business excellence. And once we get there, guess who's standing on the corner? it's always the CEO. The CEO is who we look to for direction and modeling. She or he is the main leadership voice celebrating achievements, delivering difficult information, setting the tone and expectations for the future and rallying the troops. Often the organization's culture and its core values are reflective of the CEO's values. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing a CEO who speaks the language of culture. Brad Rencher is CEO of Bamboo HR and the host of the ERA podcast, which is all about the employee experience era. Almost everyone is familiar with Bamboo HR, but to give you a refresher, they are the leading cloud platform that helps transform employee experiences. Brad joined Bamboo HR as CEO back in 2019 and has more than 25 years of experience in tech, customer service, and SaaS. Brad leads the company's mission to set people free to do great work with award-winning software. And Bamboo HR serves over 22,000 organizations in 120 countries. My company, Goalspan, is a proud integrated marketplace partner of Bamboo HR. Before Bamboo, Brad worked as executive VP and general manager at Adobe, where he led a global engineering and business organization focused on creating the industry's leading end-to-end digital marketing platform, the
1: Adobe Marketing Cloud. Welcome, Brad. Thank you, Jeff. I'm really excited for the conversation and grateful to, uh, to be on the podcast. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Well, thanks for coming on the show. And I love the opportunity to come on your podcast, The Era. And so now I get to turn the tables on you.
1: It was fun. It was a great conversation and um, looking forward to launching that new season soon. So you'll be highlighted. Brad,
0: let's start with a thumbnail of your career journey. Can you share a little bit about that? What got you into SaaS? Maybe who or what inspired you most along the way?
1: Yeah, it, it's um, yeah. Thank you, and I'll, I'll try to be try to be brief here. It's it's interesting, Jeff. You probably have the same experience that where you have maybe an intern an intern asking you a question or someone who's in uh, university and trying to figure out what's next, and they're like, just tell me how to do dot-to-dot so that I can arrive at where you are or at this thing. And one of the things that I've had to learn and I certainly have experienced is careers are not a dot-to-dot exercise. They're not linear. They're kind of accidental. There's a whole lot of luck involved. And I certainly am a byproduct of that. Yes, I am, You know, I have solid B-minus talent. I have, I have some, some work ethic. But I've been really, really fortunate to be uh, mentored by some great mentors, but also just to get just plain lucky. I started my career as an investment banker doing uh, mergers and acquisitions and IPOs. And you're like, what is a reformed investment banker doing on a podcast talking about culture? Because it's not like this industry is known as the stalwarts and the great beacon of culture and employee experience. But I ended up uh, building a relationship with uh CEO of a company called Omniture. This was my. I had taken Omniture public in an IPO and gotten to know the CEO and founder Josh James of of Omniture. And he um, asked me to come and work for him. And I said, I don't wanna come and just be uh, an investment banker or an internal investment banker, a deal guy. I wanna help you run and build people and systems and culture because you don't get that experience in in that world. And that really kicked off my journey as an operating executive, as a culture builder, as a product builder. And I think the interesting learning there, it just takes one person to believe in you. And the thing that I appreciate about Josh thinking back, it is that, you know, my resume, there was nothing on my resume that said that I could do the job he was hiring me to do. And how many times do we hire a resume as as opposed to potential? And, you know, I think back now and I'm like, I don't know if I would have had the courage to do it, but I sure appreciate that he did because it unlocked this, this whole canvas of opportunity of learning and growth for me. And hopefully I've been able to do some good along the way. And so he certainly was one of the first people who, um, you, who kind of gave me, uh, opened a door for me that maybe wouldn't have been open in other areas. And then then uh, you know nine months later, Jeff, Adobe came knocking and acquired Omniture, which was the most nonsensical acquisition at the time. People <laughs> thought, what is Photoshop doing, buying web analytics? Right. I remember being on with industry analysts; they just didn't get it. And twelve years later, it's gone down as one of the greatest, you know, kind of um, business transformation acquisitions of all time. So I was grateful to be a uh, grateful to be a part of that. But Shantan and Narayan, the CEO, is still the CEO of Adobe. Was another one at the time that Josh was leaving Adobe. Here I was, this former investment banker had been there nine months. I was kind of the last person from the team standing there. And rather than take this business and ask another leader to do it, he said, hey, Brad, why don't you report to me and try this? And 11 years later, it was just the journey of a lifetime. And I learned so much from that experience and and had um, just an opportunity to work with some of the great humans there. So then, you know, then as I was leaving Adobe and just saying, I don't know what's next for me, um, I got introduced to Bamboo and this company that rather than thinking about like I was at, at, a, at Adobe to where it was like, how do I create an audience to, to drive more email conversions and website personalization? Right. It was to be exposed to this HR category where it was all about people, about building humans. And I have just fallen in love with the mission and the opportunity here. And so I see SaaS and business as a vehicle, if done right, it's a little bit the Clayton Christensen, how to measure your life. Yeah. Business done right can be a noble profession, but the way you make it noble is you focus on the people, you focus on outcomes and building. And that doesn't mean that it's not a for-profit business, but it you can drive to outcomes and not lose the human narrative in the process.
0: I, I love that. And that reference to focusing on people goes right back to that individual focus and mentorship you got early in your career, which really allowed you to get to where you are today. Also, Brad, love your you're just unvarnished story because so many people think it is a straight trajectory and it's not. And and it is, it does involve luck, but it also involves who you surround yourself with. Who do you want to be your mentor? And then putting yourself in a position where you can
1: do that, right? And, you know, and if you, maybe if you're, if you're listening to the podcast and you're later in your career, my challenge to you is who are you doing that for? Right. Like, it's your responsibility. Like, don't make them find you. Offer. Reach out, talk to someone. Hey, Jeff, like, how are you doing? What, what are you working on? What do you want to do next? Yeah. How can I help? It's not hard. And it's the most rewarding thing that we can do.
0: Absolutely. And if we do that as an entire organization, that actually creates a culture in its own right that is about learning and development and growth and where people want to be. So. Yeah.
1: And then, so that, that's a little bit in a nutshell but it's one, I still feel like um, I'm building, um, I still feel like I'm learning, I still feel like the, my best work is ahead of me. And so it's just, a, it's an exciting an exciting um, place to be and um, I appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit about it.
0: I had an opportunity to read your recent article in Entrepreneur Magazine, which is really a great framework for what I want to talk about today. And by the way, for listeners, go look this article up. It's titled, The Three Ways to Empower Everyone to Lead and How to Do It. And we'll put the link in our show notes. But I love your concept, Brad, of everyone being a leader. Um, Tell me what that looks like in practice.
1: Yeah, this, this uh, this is one that I think that I've seen many examples of how this works. But it got codified because it's one of our values at Bamboo HR is to lead from where you are. Because what happens many times in small organizations, large organizations, is you'll hear stuff, you'll hear things like this. Well, that's above my pay grade. Or um, I can't do that because I don't have the title that I need in order to get this particular initiative over the line in the organization. That's just not right. No, not at all. It's not right. And it's, it's limiting for the individual and it's limiting for the organization. And so this, um, this notion, yes, are there certain decisions that need to be made by certain people inside an organization? Yes. Otherwise it would be chaos, no alignment and to do that. But I think that many times people feel like in order to unlock and have big impact, they need a promotion or they need a certain position. And what this value and what this idea is that if you lead from where you are, um, you can have a large impact, and the business many times actually promotes you even before your t- that you might get the particular title or different things. Let me give you an example. There was a, uh, and I highlighted this a little bit in the article, but there there I can give a little more color. There was a a, a, a data analyst, and insights team at Adobe, and there was a young analyst there. His name's Dan Mondragon. He's great guy. He's on LinkedIn. Say hello to him. But he started to work on this analysis for all this go-to-market, this global go-to-market, Adobe's entire enterprise go-to-market. Imagine how big this is. And he, I don't know what his title was, like manager, individual contributor. Like he wasn't like, he wasn't even running the team. But he started to come into these meetings and have insights. And so people would be like, hey, we need Dan in this meeting. And so Dan would be in the meeting. And Dan is in the meeting, and then he added value in the meeting because he was leading out on these insights to help us figure out what we need to do with the business. And then he started to be in meetings with me and the the president of Adobe's EMEA region, um, the president of the Japan region. And they would start to then say, well, before I make this decision, I just want to talk to Dan. And so they would call and put themselves on his calendar. And so then he would be giving them insights. And so here was this person sitting in, in Lehigh, Utah, who was having this major impact across this global organization because he was leading from his place. And, um, and to me, it was just this light bulb moment. It, did Dan ultimately get promoted? Yes. But was it the title and his position that led, led him to have the impact? No, because he had mastered this principle of leading from where he is. Well, and my guess too is that Dan
0: was not, adding value
1: um, to try to get a promotion. He wants to have an impact. That's what 99% of the employees are just like, I want to feel valued and I want to have an impact. How do you let them do that? Let them, let them lead, give them that voice. And there's lots of ways people do this. It's like, well, I, I want to you know, hear everyone's voice, but I love this idea of leadership that you can lead. And this is the, my challenge sometimes with employees that you know that are there is like, hey, Brad, I wanna grow and develop. Well, tell me about how you're leading from where you are today. Tell me about that.
0: That's great. That's such a good question for any of us at, at any time, really. Uh, okay, so in your article, you also mentioned the importance of creating expertise at all levels of the organization. Talk to us about why this is so important and what are the benefits of investing in this?
1: Yeah, it, it I mean to me this is this is how you build well let me step back. It let's look at what you know you need to identify what the objectives for your business are. Is your business to to put the leadership team and executive team a small number of people at the center of your narrative? Are they always the protagonists of the story that you want to write? Or is it that 5 years, 10 years from now you have now developed leaders who are now leading out in the core narrative of the business, who are not today. And maybe some of these people go and they're they're writing the, the narrative in other businesses. And so for me, it comes down to what's your objective and how do you want to develop? And because if you want to develop and not always put the executive team or the leadership team at the central part of every story, well, then you've got to start to develop those you know, it's like, think about any good book or story that's telling is you have to do character development. Right. And in the character development, you start to understand what's the tension? What are they learning? How are they figuring out their skills? Any superhero movie, they got to go discover their powers. And for me, getting the insight and the knowledge in different parts of the organization is starting to under, help each individual in your organization understand their superpowers. And then it takes time to learn how to harness those and to build those so that they can kind of achieve the the measure of their creation and that's what i mean by that is it's yes there's business benefits from that but if you think about it from a core people development standpoint that's the idea and it makes you more resilient it makes you deeper and you know my experience is i have scaled several of these businesses from a hundred million dollars to billions of dollars of revenue it's the only way that you actually achieve business outcomes and growth
0: mm-hmm. makes perfect sense The other element is communicating constantly, fiercely, authentically about the organization's mission, what it stands for, where it's going, its vision, its core values. Talk to me a little bit about how to connect people to the company and its mission. What does that look like generically? What does it look like specifically at Bamboo HR?
1: Yeah, our mission at Bamboo HR is to set people free to do great work. Mm -hmm. I love that, by the way. I, I love it, Jeff. <laughs> I, I've, I, you know, every day we've got roughly 3 million people in our system working. And I think about that, like today we can help 3 million people maybe um, book some time off over the 4th of July. And then they get to go spend time with average number of dependents is 2.2. So 6 to 7 million people are going to benefit from an action that takes place in Bamboo HR software today. How incredible is that? And that's going to be 10 million, 20 million, 50 million. And I would say as a leader, how deeply do you care and feel that mission? Because mission, vision, values, this is the hard part. If you're not happy with your culture, you're not happy with how that's happening as a leader, you have to look in the mirror. Yep. Because it's ultimately a reflection of you.
0: No question. If people
1: aren't aligned to the mission. Look in the mirror. How do you feel about it? How do you talk about it? How are you driving to alignment? Because the mission is: Why does this company exist? What are we about? And you know, then you get to the vision: Is like, well, what are we doing? Like, what will we become? And then your values are: How do we do it? And are the values the pictures on the wall, or does it actually inform? Like, so, like, let me give an example. One of a one of Bamboo's values is be open. And if I'm as a, if if I as a leader, I'm coming across as I'm not being transparent. I'm being vague. I'm not, when I can give information, I'm not, and I'm not communicating. Well, how much do you think be open as a value is gonna take hold inside a bamboo?
0: It won't in that case. It, it might be aspirational, Yes, but it, but it won't. Yeah, exactly.
1: You may as well take it off the wall, take it off everything. It's not going to happen unless you're committed to it. Yes, aspirational, true. But how then am I working towards that as a leader? And so for me, most of my meetings, people get tired of it. I will start with, especially in like, if I'm recruiting someone to come, I'm like, we're going to start and end every conversation the same way. What's our mission? What's our vision? What are our values? Then we talk in between. And I said, at the end, let me tell you about our mission again. Let me tell you about how we do it and what we're becoming. And the more you weave this into your core operating narrative, the more it's going to take hold. It's so exciting when it happens. And we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm still learning that bambooligans who are listening are like, yeah, I wish you'd do more of that. You're right. Like, I got to do better. One of the other things that
0: you mentioned in your article is eliminating silos, especially the top, which I'm really glad you brought this up because they're so cancerous and problematic when there's silos within organizations. But why why is it most important to do this at the top if you have silos in an organization?
1: yeah. And this is the hard thing. As I, in my organization, you know, at Adobe, it was, I don't know, five, six, seven, 10,000 people. Did we have silos that, that crept in? Yes, because ultimately you have to have an organizing principle for your organization, whether you're three employees, 10 employees, or 10,000. You have to have an organizing principle and there are functions. People need managers. And um, and so, yes, that those are going to exist. What I mean by how do you eliminate this at the top? There is an opportunity. And Patrick Lencioni has an idea in his book, and he talks about this this principle of team one. And team one is the executive team. And I use this language um, with all of my teams. When I invite you to come and report to me and be on the team, this is how I say it. I'm like, Jeff, you're running the sales department and I need you to run the sales department with excellence. But the second part of your role is that when you come to my team meeting and we're with each other as an executive team, that you're a member of team one. So what do I need you to do? I need you to take off your functional hat of sales. You can see my bad hair day. Um, <laughs> you take the functional hat off and you leave that behind and you come in and now who are you? You are Jeff Hunt and you are an executive who is jointly running Bamboo HR. And every decision, your commentary shouldn't be from the perspective, I know it's hard, I know that's your day job, but I need you to come in and represent that and not doing it from the perspective of, hey, this is what sales needs. This is what sales needs. It's like, what are the things that we're doing? And so for me, how I try to eliminate that is this Patrick Lencioni principle of a team one. And I, I try to, when I recruit people, I do it. When they are hired and they're onboarding, I put it in. And many times during, a, during an executive team meeting, I'll say, as a reminder, we're in our team one hats today, not in our functional hats. And because that's how I just try to constantly push that out.
0: I love that. And Pat has so many incredible references. And by the way, for listeners, he's coming on the podcast. He has a new book coming out around the working genius model that he has. He has an assessment called the Working Genius. And so I'll be interviewing him in September. I think the book comes out in, or actually August book comes out in September. Look forward to that. Stay tuned for that. So also, I think that just the recognition of the difference, Brad, between a group and a team is also critical. A group being a loose knit of people who might be friends and really like each other, but don't have a common goal. And a team having that common goal and direction also with an interdependency, wouldn't you think?
1: Yeah, I think, I, I think that, I mean, Netflix is kind of champion this model to where like, they, they, many companies say, hey, we're a family. And Netflix says, we're not a family, we're a team. We're a high-performing team. And that means that you may not choose them to be in your family, but you respect what they do and they do it. And we perform together in this this team concept. And I think it's interesting. Maybe it's taken too far sometimes, but I do think that getting out of the notion to where it's okay, because what's the biggest thing? And this is another great book, right? Crucial Conversations. How do you have those conversations as an executive team that are what? Important? and emotionally charged. Right. Can you master those type of conversations on that team? If you can, sky is the limit.
0: Yeah. What just staying on that vein for a minute. What are your suggestions for tips on how to master those conversations?
1: Yeah, I've I've had several of these this in the last couple of weeks and Jeff, I don't know if I'm I I try really hard to be great at it, but my tip is is to have the courage to start the conversation. Mm-hmm. many times the hardest part is yeah. to just have the courage to start it because then once you're into it, it is actually many times isn't nearly as bad as you as you imagine story you told yourself in your mind it's actually freeing yes and you're like wow this that actually how many times have you had one of those crucial conversations and you get done and you're like wow that was actually and you th- this weight is lifted from you yeah and as humans we generally most people don't like conflict Right, And so crucial conversations definition is it is conflict, but you're choosing to handle it in in a certain way. And so for me is have the courage to start. And then when you're there, like show up end to end through the conversation, even when it's tough, don't, don't withdraw, don't hold back context from the pool of understanding, continue to give in, in in an authentic way. And, and you may not resolve it, it may not be perfect. But I think if you have the courage to start and show up authentically end to end, it's it's going to be a positive experience for both the giver and the receiver of the feedback um, and in the conversation. So that would be my quick tip.
0: It's kind of like running. If you wanna go running, sometimes the hardest part is putting on your
1: running shoes. Many people have read Atomic Habits. That's one of my favorite sections from uh, Atomic Habits is the habit stacking. It's like, if you wanna go run a marathon, well, every morning it's like, ah, I don't wanna to start today because I can't run a marathon. And the point was, just make the, make the habit, I get out of bed, I put on my running shoes, because then what happens? Well, my running shoes are on, I may as well go for a run. It's a mindset. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I love it to where a lot of times as an executive, as a leader, it's like, okay, you know you need to have that tough conversation. Well, then just do something to start it. To say, like, I won't let a one-on-one with this person going, go by without starting the conversation. Like make that a, an operating principle and it's easy. It's like, oh yeah, that's right. I promise my, I have a commitment. I won't let a one-on-one going go by without giving that feedback. And then you're there.
0: Brad, how does vulnerability and authenticity come into play in leadership? You mentioned it earlier, so I'm bringing it back up.
1: Yeah, yeah thank you. I think as you, as you think about the leaders that most inspire you, the ones that you want to be around, how do you get to that team No one likes to feel managed, manipulated, or just a number or a cog in the wheel. An experience I had early in my career as I was, you know, at one of the preeminent investment banking firms, and I remember I'd worked, you know, a couple all-nighters and all these things, and and we went in to do a a review with the senior partner, And, and the senior partner said kind of jokingly in that meeting something that I've never forgotten, and he meant it as a joke. And he, cause I think one of the junior people spoke up and he's like, oh yeah, you don't speak. You're just a unit of production. Like you you just get, and he said it jokingly, but like, I remember like, wow, to where, like, do your people feel like a unit of production? Your job is to A to B and like, just go do that. It's, is there anything more deflating than being a unit of production? Right. Um, and so for me, authentic leadership, really it, it gets put into the umbrella of servant leadership to where, are you showing up Jeff in the way that's authentic to you? Because the way you lead your organization, the way I lead my organization, is it different? Yeah. Could the principles be the same and those kind of things? But yes, I think about, I've, I've replaced, not replaced, but I've like Ben and Ben and, uh, Peterson and Ryan Sanders are the two co-founders of Bamboo. So I came in and I think there was you know, a lot of people in the organization who might be worried, like who's this new person? Is he gonna come in and do things differently? Yeah, I am because you, you have to lead authentically to you. I think about, think about being Tim Cook and, Mm -hmm. and stepping in for the, stepping in for Steve Jobs. Right. Is anyone get, how many people have tried to be the next Steve Jobs? Like it's countless. That's right. Did Tim Cook, has he ever been accused of trying to be Steve Jobs? No way. Never. Never. Because what is he doing? He's authentic to who he is. And that's where power is, is when you bring, do I I like to say bring your whole self? No, there's, you have to have a professional, like you have to have a professional life, but leading authentically. And part of leading authentically is, am I perfect? No. And like, if stepping in, in front of Bamboo and saying, hey, I screwed this up, or to the leadership team, like I screwed up, I am sorry. Like, does that free them as my leaders and the next level leaders and the next level leaders to be able to go say the same thing, yeah. And that to me is where power and resilience comes from. Because right now, like many of the employees entering the workforce today, they may not have received tough feedback ever in their lives. Right. And to where, and it's really harsh when you get it the first time. And, but it's like, it's okay. It's okay because let me tell you about when I failed and what and how I learned from that. And I think that that pitching and catching of feedback, if you, you said earlier, If we could do that, imagine what the organization would become. I think the best organizations in the world are going to be the ones that pitch and catch feedback better than others.
0: Completely agree. And I think one of the pathways to getting there, which is often overlooked, is actually training people how to do that. Not just managers, supervisors, but employees. Everybody needs to know how to give and receive feedback well. Yeah, I I think that's
1: super interesting. What's your favorite thing about running Bamboo HR? our mission. It, it matters. It, we, can, we can do good with it. We build two products. We build a product that we, that we ship to our customers, and we build a culture and a system that are, as our second product that attracts and retains just some of the brightest and greatest people that I know. And I, I love that, that combination in, in delivering against our mission. Fun to be
0: a part of that, I'm sure. Before I shift you into some lightning round questions, you're recording this new season of the era podcast. Give us a sneak peek of, of what's coming.
1: Yeah, it is. It's really the, the idea that we're really trying to uncover Jeff and you were, you were so enlightening when we talked there is, is this idea of what if we've had it backwards this entire time we do? We, we spend so much focus on our sales and our marketing and how do we get more customers and how do we retain them? And, 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 and there's been this, this whole rallying cry of customer experience is king. Right. What if we were wrong? Like, what if, what if the right way to do it? And Tony shay from Zappos was one of the first ones to try this. Maybe we start with that first interaction with a candidate and what experience we provide to them and what that onboarding experience is and what a manager to, to a team member interaction is and what feedback they're getting and how they're growing and developing the totality of the employee experience. What if we start there and then the customers get delighted and then revenue and business results flow? It's this hypothesis of maybe we've had it backwards the entire time. And maybe we redesign this to say, let's make what was last first and what was first somewhere in the middle and see what those business outcomes would be. And my hypothesis is that that's where the future breakout companies are going to be are the ones that have the courage to say yes i know all those kpis matter but i'm going to focus here because i'm confident that those things will be outcomes
0: the great concept and it just reminds me of how so many organizations focus as a primary objective on profit let's say it's ebitda or we have net profit and their goal is to achieve that, but it's not the goal, it's actually the byproduct. So if you do all those things that you just described really well, that's yeah. actually the end result usually, unless something derails, that's usually the end result. Unless
1: you're in the wrong market, you got the wrong product, you got the wrong offering, there's all the table stakes stuff that you have to get, but then once you get there, how you organize and how you align exactly can be different. Yeah. Okay, lightning round questions. Yeah. What are you most grateful for? Relationships relationships, relationships that matter, you know, new ones, old ones, and the opportunity to, to, um, to benefit from those.
0: What's the most difficult leadership lesson you've learned over your career?
1: Gosh, I think, how would I, how would I characterize this? It is failure as a tough teacher. It just is tough. You're in it and you're like, I'm so miserable. And then you come out and you're like, well, I'm really grateful for it. And So if I could, I I think that's been a difficult leadership lesson, but now it's the, some of the sweetest, most important lessons that I learned. But early it was like, it was hard, hard to learn. It's really hard, isn't it? Too bad there's not an easier way. (laughs) I know, it just is hard. And I, you know, and like I said, I grade out at a solid B minus in most things. So, um, you know. Oh, you're a a humble
0: guy. So I don't know if I believe you, but (laughs) who's one person you would interview if you could living or not?
1: I think about people someone who is a bridger of a divide. I don't know, maybe like Abraham Lincoln. like think about like, you know, some of the things that he had to gap and to to lead and to do it while he was battling with his own internal demons. Like what was that like? how did he how did he build the 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 perspective, the insight, and the conviction to go do things that were unpopular? Um, that would be a wonderful, you know, teacher. kind of living, I think it'd be kind of fun, like, I look at every time I see Denzel Washington, he seems like he has a secret. Like he's like, there's okay, something he's like. I get he's like he's always smirking. I'm like, what is he thinking about? Exactly. Like I've always wondered that. So that would be kind of a fun one for someone who's you know still out here doing doing some good things.
0: Do you are you reading any good books? Do you have any good book recommendations?
1: Yeah, I I mentioned a couple that have that have done that. I. I'm going back and rereading a couple books. One is some of the Marty Kagan product management principles. I'm going back to read that and not doing it to like develop products, but to develop people. Is there things that we can learn around software development principles and how we develop people? I love that. Because I I tell the executive team, I'm the product manager of this executive team. Like you are my product. Right. And how do I like, what am I discovering? How am I testing? How am I learning? Um, What's my roadmap? And so I'm, I'm trying to like, you know, turn product management principles on its head to try to to do that with people. The other one I've gone back to reread is switch by um, the Heath brothers. Okay. And, and how do you create change in large organizations and do it with um, kind of culminating events? And so those are two that I'd mentioned.
0: Looking back on your career, your life, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received?
1: I have a friend that's got a little sign over his door that his kids walk in and out of every day to go out into the world to go do their thing. And it's, it's four letters, I-N-A-Y. And it stands for, it's not about you. They, and they want to teach their kids that. It's like, you go out there, it's not about you. It's about others. What can you do? And I think that advice and, and how I've looked to apply that is so many times we're, we're tempted to put ourselves as the protagonist of every story and it's not about you.
0: Very good point. Brad, as we wrap up, what's the most important takeaway to, to to leave our listeners with from our talk?
1: Yeah, I would I would say the thing that I would challenge all of us to think about and this is this is right back to me in the mirror is there's something about us and you know we doubt ourselves we're our harshest critic, we limit what's the art of the possible. Like I love this philosophy of why not me? Why not us? Mm-hmm. And the takeaway that I would give is there's something that you know you should be doing in your personal life, your professional life. And, you know, why not? Like, why not us? What's the, you know, what's the downside? Like, why, why should I see this market to a competitor? Well, we work hard too. We're smart too. Like, why would we just say, oh, they're going to be better at it? Like, I'm trying to get myself to do this. Stop limiting what's the art of the possible is why not us and use that as a philosophy and almost a rallying cry.
0: Super inspirational. Brad, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was great to see you and I appreciate all your wisdom, Jeff. Thanks. Really fun conversation and best of luck in all your, in all your endeavors. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the show this week. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. Let me know what you thought of this episode by emailing human at goalspan.com. Human Capital is produced by GoalSpan. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And please share this podcast with your colleagues, team, or friends. Thanks for being human. Kind.